0: And laughs. Theater of the mind. The best love programs from radio's golden age. Only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we travel back to 1948 for an exciting episode of the Lone Ranger. In fact, We're going to hear about the origin of this legendary character and how he became friends with Tonto. As generally depicted, the Lone Ranger conducts himself by a very strict moral code placed on him by the creators of the show. In part, it read, I believe that to have a friend, a man must be one, that all men are created equal and that everyone has within himself the power to make this a better world, that God put the firewood there and that every man must gather and light it himself in being prepared physically, mentally, and morally to fight when necessary for what is right. That a man should make the most of what equipment he has. Now, those are just some of the stringent rules that he must live by. Let's see how many of those expectations come into play tonight as we listen to The Origin of the Lone Ranger.
2: with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. This is the legend of a man who buried his identity to dedicate his life to the service of humanity and country. It is the story of the origin of the Lone Ranger. Early settlers in the West had to be brave men and women, ready to fight for their lives at any moment. There was danger on every side. There were wild beasts, savage Indians, and the Cavendish Gang. Butch Cavendish headed a pack of outlaws. They struck without warning to steal and kill. Open
3: fire on that wagon train! Wipe them out to the last man!
2: The Cavendish gang attacked ranches and towns as well as wagon trains. Everyone feared Butch Cavendish. His gang grew rich and powerful. Finally, the Texas Rangers learned where Butch Cavendish and his gang were hiding. Six Texas Rangers guided their horses along a canyon floor to arrest the Cavendish gang. Presently, Captain Reed signaled a halt. Right in, boys. We'll
4: wait here until a scout returns. Do you think it was a good idea to
2: send Collins our guide on ahead? It was Captain Reed's younger brother who asked the question. The captain explained that Collins, who was not a Texas Ranger, was the only man who knew the country and who could scout ahead for information. Then, while the Texas Rangers waited for the guide's return, the captain said to his younger brother, My wife and son are coming from the east. If something happens to me, and you survive,
4: well, I know you'll take care of her and Danny. Right. I'm going to count on you to resign from the Rangers and work that silver mine we staked out. See that my son and his mother get my share. I promise. Here comes Collins, the scout. Oh, ho oh, there. Oh, oh, Sidney. Uh, what's the word, Collins? Good news, Captain Reed. It's all clear. I scouted the rim on both sides of the canyon and found no sign of the cabin in his outfit. All right, boys, let's go. Get, get up there. Get up oh, there.
2: Collins, the guide, lagged behind unnoticed by the Texas Rangers, who moved in single file along the floor of the rock-strewn canyon. They didn't know that Collins had lied, that Butch Cavendish and his killers were waiting in ambush on the rim on both sides of the gap. Here come those Rangers boys, just as Collins told us. Well, yeah. Now we can't get down to the floor of the canyon without going a long way back,
4: and it'll be dark in half an hour. So we'll just keep pouring lead into them from up here until we're sure
2: they're dead. Then we won't be taking any chances. Now open fire! The Rangers leaped from their saddles and spread out as they returned the fire from both sides of the canyon. Soon, four of the Rangers were killed. Captain Dan Reed and its brother, wounded several times, kept fighting side by side. Then the captain fell mortally wounded, and a moment later, his younger brother, the last of the Rangers, slumped to the ground. waited and watched for any sign of life from the Rangers, then rode away, convinced that all six men in Bryant's Gap were dead. Sunset came, then darkness. An Indian examined the bodies by moonlight. After examining the first five men, he muttered softly, oh, them dead. Then he came to the sixth man, the younger brother of the captain. And this man, alive. The Indian lifted this man tenderly in his strong arms and carried him to a nearby cave where he bathed and dressed the wounds. Then he took a spade from one side of the cave and returned to the canyon, where he worked steadily until the dead men had been buried. Returning to the cavern, he sat watching through the remaining hours of the night. Daybreak found the ranger stronger, but by nightfall, the wounds had become infected. The Indian called on all his knowledge to treat the wounded man. He went day and night without rest. Was the morning of the fourth day when the ranger opened his eyes, and for the first time the Indian saw them clear and calm. Are you wake, me glad. Yes, I, but so weak. You wounded
4: man. I, I remember an ambush. Isn't that right? Me find you in canyon, carry you here to cave. It, it's daylight. It morning. Then I. I must have been unconscious all night. It's several days since fight in Canyon. Several days. Ah. There's something familiar about you. You? You remember? Many years ago, you only boy. You find Indian boy in trouble. You save life, Indian boy. Yes. Your name is Tonto. That right? Years ago, you called me That right. And you still kimosabi. It means faithful friend. Toto, there were six of us in that canyon. The others. What about the other rangers? Other ranger. All dead. Dead. Uh. One was my brother. You, only ranger left. You, lone ranger. The Lone Ranger. Tonto, those killers know me by sight. If they know one man escaped, they'll look for him. And them not know one escape. Tonto bury five men, make six grave. Crook think you die with others. Good. Then my name shall be forever buried with my brother and my friends. From now on, my face must be concealed. A disguise, perhaps, or a mask. That's it. A mask. I'm the only one who knows about the Cavendish gang. With your help, Tonto, I'll get
2: every one of those crooks. In the ranger's eyes, there was a light that must have burned in the eyes of knights in armor. A light that through the ages lifted the souls of strong men who fought for justice For God. I'll be the
4: Lone Ranger.
2: The Lone Ranger and Tonto were trailing the worst outlaw in the West. His name was Butch Cavendish. They had followed his trail for many weeks, until finally they noticed that the hoof prints of the outlaw's horse were fresh. We're close
4: to Cavendish now. Yes, Tonto. he can't be far ahead. Him outrun us last time. Maybe better we shoot in sight. No, I want to take him alive. That shot. Look out. Steady there, steady boy. Over there. Kill her in ambush, him right way. Tonto, he missed me, but he shot my horse. Get after him. Get him up, Toto.
2: Tonto's horse was tired and no match in speed for the animal Cavendish rode. The outlaw escaped. When Tonto returned from the futile chase, oh, oh, he found the Lone Ranger standing beside his dead horse. A good horse, Tonto. Loyal, faithful, and brave.
4: But my next horse must be faster. I wish that. Tonto, we've heard stories of a wild horse, a fiery white stallion. Ah, him seen
3: near Valley, over there, where Cavendish goes.
4: We'll be on the lookout for the wild horse while we follow Cavendish.
2: Toto's horse carried the Lone Ranger's saddle, his saddlebags, and bridle, while the masked man and the Indian continued on foot along the outlaw's trail. When they reached the top of a hill, look, Toto! They halted suddenly and stared at an awe inspiring sight far down in the valley. They saw a great white stallion in a death fight with a giant buffalo. The horse was plunging, rearing, charging, and dodging wildly. And the sun flashed from his coat as from a coat of polished silver. They realized that this was the legendary white stallion, the one ranchers and hunters had talked so much about. Otto, we must have that horse. I'll try to shoot the buffalo. Get too far for pistol shot. I'll get closer before it's too late. As he ran downhill, the Lone Ranger watched the battle. The sleek white stallion was nimble and courageous, but his strength began to wane. The buffalo charged again and again. The splendid muscles of the white horse were slower in responding. Then, too slow, he was caught by the buffalo's charge. Wet crimson stained his pure white coat. Another charge! The white horse saw it coming, and he couldn't dodge. He staggered and fell. The monster drew back and lowered his head for the death charge. And then, two shots rang out. The buffalo shuddered from the impact of the masked man's bullets. For an instant, he stood motionless, then fell. Battered and bruised The white stallion lay quietly As the lone ranger bathed his wounds During the next several days The masked man and the Indian Cared for the injured horse Then the wounds were closed And the horse's strength had returned There was once more fire in his eye A spring in his step And his head was lifted proudly Toto, he's himself again
4: Ah,
3: him, plenty strong
4: Plenty good horse I wonder if he'll take a saddle Let's try. Steady there. Steady boy. Let me get rope. Him run away. No, Toto, wait. Let him go. I'd like to have that horse more than anything in the world, but he deserves his freedom. He fought for it. Him stop. He's turned to look at us. See how the sun reflects from his white coat? Ah. Him look like silver. Silver. That would be a name for him. Silver. Look at him. Silver! Hey, Silver! Toto, he's coming back. It's just as if he knew what I said. Silver!
2: Silver, you beauty. Hand me the halter, Toto. As the mighty stallion felt the halter, he trembled as if from a chill. Every instinct told him that he must flee at once to preserve his freedom. And yet he stood his ground. It wasn't gratitude that kept him there. It was something stronger, some mysterious bond of friendship and understanding. He heard the man's voice, and he liked it. Silver. Silver. We're going to be partners.
3: (coughs) Him let you use halter.
4: Now, Toto. the saddle. Oh,
3: no horse like that. Take saddle.
4: There never was a horse like this.
2: Now, Silver... We're going to work together. The horse was wild and unused to the ways of men, and the weight of a saddle and a rider. But the masked man was a kind teacher. He was gentle yet firm, and Silver was intelligent. The stallion seemed to sense the desires of the Lone Ranger and did his best to cooperate. He learned quickly, and after several days of training, he was ready.
4: Follow me, Toto. I'm going after Cavendish. Come on, Silver. <laughs>
2: No hoofs had ever beat the plains like those thundering hoops of the great horse, Silver. During the past few days, Cavendish had gotten far away, but the masked man and Toto trailed him relentlessly with only a minimum of rest. It took days to cut down the outlaw's lead, but at long last, Cavendish came into view. There he is! Come on, Silver! The mighty stallion responded with a new burst of speed. Cavendish fired wild shots over his shoulder until his gun was empty. His horse, though powerful and fast, was no match for the charging silver. Get here. Come on. Fear and panic filled the outlaw's out, face. He heard the hoof Get beats out. ever nearer. Get on, and then man. the masked man shout, I want you, Cavendish! The masked man's avowed mission was accomplished. The last of the Cavendish gang was captured to be tried by law and punished for his crimes. But there were many others whose criminal plans were to be challenged by the Lone Ranger, his faithful Indian companion Toto, and his great horse Silver. Hi! This is the legend of Dan Reed. The story of how the Lone Ranger found his only living relative. A long line of prairie schooners moved westward through a valley. Among the pioneers were families with all their worldly goods, and men on horseback who planned to seek their fortune in the new frontier. Also, there were several women who had joined the wagon train to meet their husbands, who had previously gone west to make new homes. Suddenly, a blood-chilling cry rang out from the hills. Indians! Brilliantly painted Indians charged from the hills on both sides of the valley.
3: Farm a circle
5: with the wagons! Get to the floor of the wagon, honey, and hold the baby close.
2: Heavily outnumbered by the Indians, the pioneers knew they had no hope, but they were determined to fight to the last man. It was the following morning when the Lone Ranger and Tonto came upon the scene of the massacre. They drew rein and examined the grim remains of wagons that had been looted, then burned, and the bodies of brave pioneers who had died in their attempt to conquer the West. No survivors, Tonto. It looked like work of Apache. This must have been the wagon train that was heading for Fort Laramie. While Tonto watched, the masked man made a detailed inspection of the ashes of wagons and their contents. Presently, he found a small square piece of metal, a nameplate from a trunk. He wiped it on his sleeve, then read it. Toto, remember how the Cavendish gang ambushed my brother and the other Texas
4: Rangers in Bryant's gap? Uh, Me, You ambushed, too. I think my brother had an idea that something might happen to him. Just before we rode into the gap, he called me aside and said... I want to speak to you brother to brother. My wife
3: and son are coming from the east. If something happens to me and you survive,
2: well, I know you'll take care of her and Teddy.
4: I promised him I would. Then he said...
2: I'm going to count on you to resign from the rangers and work that silver mine we staked
3: out.
4: See that my son and his mother get my share." I made arrangements for an old man named Jim to work the silver mine and got enough ore to keep me supplied with silver bullets and what cash I need. Ah, me no. We were to wait until my brother's wife arrived from the east to decide what she wanted done with her share of the silver mine. But now I... Oh, me sorry, Kimasabi. Yes, Toto. Linda and the baby boy were on this wagon train. Maybe woman, baby captured. Maybe them live. It's a faint hope, Tonto. Nevertheless, I shan't be convinced that they're dead. We'll always be on the lookout for some clue that Dan Reed and his mother are alive. In the meantime, we must help make the West a place where massacres like this can't happen.
2: After reporting the massacre of the wagon train to Fort Laramie, the Lone Ranger visited his secret silver mine for a fresh supply of silver bullets. Then, with Tonto at his side, the masked man turned the blinding light of justice on criminals throughout the West. He was a mysterious figure identified only by his mask, a great white horse named Silver, and a ringing cry. Are you, Silver? He was the Lone Ranger. Though 13 years went by, the Lone Ranger was ever alert for proof that his brother's wife and son were dead, or, if living, a clue that might lead him to their side. Then his adventures took him to the high-border country in the Northwest, where he fought men who sought to rob an old lady called Grandma Frisbee and her adopted grandson, a boy in his early teens whose name was Dan. The outlaws were conquered, but the fight had been a great strain on Grandma Frisbee's aging heart. The masked man and Dan were with her in the small, neat bedroom.
5: I... I'm
2: tired. Try to get some sleep, Mrs. Frisbee.
5: No, I, I want to be sure Dan will be all right. I, I want you to take care of Dan.
4: I'll take care of him as if he were my son.
5: You, you ought to know about his past. He's not really my grandson. No? I'm not. But Grandma Frisbee, I Let always... Let me talk. There's a small box under the bed... Hand it to me. I'll get it.
2: Grandma Frisbee held the box in her thin blue-veined hands while she told of coming west in a wagon train.
5: That was over ten years ago. There was a fine lady traveling with the party and she had a baby boy.
2: The dying woman told about the Indian attack.
5: I crept away from the scene of the massacre and took the baby with me. I came up here near the border and raised Dan as my grandson. Here's a little gold locket that he wore around his neck. There there are pictures inside.
2: The Lone Ranger opened the locket and looked at the faces of the man and woman as Dan spoke.
4: I, I wonder who my parents were.
2: I know them. This man, your father,
4: was my brother. Your brother? He was a captain of the Texas Rangers, and one of the bravest men in the country. Your mother was a fine lady from Virginia. Her name was Linda.
5: I called the baby Dan because it's the name that's on the locket. But I never knew the last name.
4: Dan's last name is Reed, the same as mine. Gosh. I've been looking for you, Dan, for many years, ever since your father died. From now on, if you're willing, we'll travel together.
5: Oh, I'd like that. I, I'm glad. Would would you do just one thing for me before I I sleep? Would you take off that mask and show me your
1: face? Why, of course.
5: Oh, it's a good face. Yes, a
1: good face.
4: Dan, your grandma was a fine woman. It's too bad she had to go. She was certainly good to me. She and your father left you a great heritage.
5: A heritage?
4: Yes. They and others like them have handed down to you the right to worship as you choose and the right to work and profit from your enterprise. They have given you a land where there is true freedom, true equality of opportunity, a nation that is governed by the people, by laws that are best for the greatest number. Your duty, Dan, is to preserve that heritage and strengthen it. That is the heritage and duty of every American. Thank you.
2: Fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty Hyo Silver, the Lone Ranger. This is the story that tells how Tonto once saved the Lone Ranger. Toto were riding westward across desolate country. They were looking at the tracks of a wagon train when suddenly a thin young man stepped from behind a big boulder. He held a rifle to his shoulder and shouted,
3: right in, or I'll
6: shoot! You. Closer, closer. Okay. That's it. Now
3: get off those horses and don't try to reach for a gun.
2: The Lone Ranger and Toto dismounted slowly. Easy, Steady Big Fellow. Then the masked man dropped his hand with lightning speed and fired from the hip. His bullet smashed the rifle and sent it flying from the young man's hands.
4: Now raise your hands. Search him, Tonto. See if he has any other weapons. Uh,
3: I haven't. I should have known better than to try to hold up a masked outlaw.
4: I'm not an outlaw. And you don't look like one. I'm
3: not. I held you up because I hoped to find food in your saddlebags.
4: What's your name? Wingate. Dave Wingate. What are you doing alone in country like this? I was with a wagon train. <laughs> it passed here. Why did you leave the train?
3: I was driven away. Why? I didn't do anything wrong. I was framed by Cap Sanders.
4: Cap Sanders?
3: He was hired as wagon master. Every night he posted guards to watch for dangerous
4: redskins. Two so Indian dangers, but crow Indian friendly. One of our best friends is chief of the Crow-Indians who live north of here. Dave, I want to hear how you were framed, but first we'll prepare a meal.
3: Oh, I'm near starved. Uh...
2: Dave told about being on guard duty during a dark night when he saw two men sneaking beyond the circle of wagons. So I followed them. They met a third man,
3: and I got close enough to hear their voices. One was Cap Sanders and another the guide he'd hired. We called him Dakota Dick. The man they met was an Indian. Could you hear what was said? I was there only a minute, and then I sneezed. Cap Sanders and Dakota Dick rushed at me, grabbed me, and disarmed me. They were raving mad. What about the Indian? He disappeared. Dakota Dick wanted to shoot me. But Sanders said that'd be hard to explain. He said he had a better way of getting rid of me. They took me to camp, roused the men, and accused me of sleeping on guard duty.
4: I wonder why they wanted to get rid of you.
3: I don't know. Unless they thought I overheard something they wanted kept secret. Did you? No. The Indian jabbered something I couldn't understand. And Sanders told him to mosey along.
4: Mosey along?
3: Yes. He said, mosey along, you inch, and walk on. It sounded odd. That's why I remembered it. Oh, Maybe him talk Sioux
4: Indian language. Maybe him say, Mosey on, you Indian, walk on. Well, that's it. Sanders told the Indian to make an attack at a landmark known as Medicine Rock. Oh. Medicine Rock? The wagons are supposed to reach there tonight. And Sanders is working with Sioux Indians to attack the pioneers. They must be warned. I'll try to overtake the wagons. You go with you? No, Toto, I'll make better time alone. You stay with Dave. Easy, steady, big fella.
3: Monsilvy!
6: <laughs>
2: It was late afternoon when the lone ranger overtook the train of covered wagons he drew abreast of the first one in the line easy silver easy and shouted to the driver frisbee are you jim
4: frisbee yes you huh? Your mask. no time to explain the mask now there may be an ambush ahead stop the wagons while i tell you about it stop the
6: wagons
2: the wagons were halted at the foot of a long hill Jim Frisbee and men from other wagons listened while the Lone Ranger told about the possible ambush at Medicine Rock in the valley ahead.
4: It's just beyond that hill. You're within a couple of miles of the place. Two of our men rode ahead. If there's any sign of trouble, it'll come back and lead us over a different route. Otherwise, we'll go on as we planned. Are Cap Sanders and Dakota Dick the men who went ahead? Oh, yes. Frisbee, if my information is correct, they're helping the Indians plan the ambush. What, Why would they do that? For money. If you people are massacred, they'll be able to take your cash and let the Indians have your horses and supplies. They are not crooks. I'm sure they are. I'd say you're the crook. What's your game? The Lone
2: Ranger realized when he heard the angry comments that he could never persuade the men to follow him over a different trail that would lead safely past the dangerous valley.
4: Where'd you get your information? Nothing I might say would convince you that I've told the truth. Hey, look!
3: The top of the hill. Engines!
4: They're show engines! They're on the warfare! They're coming this way! Now you must fight! I'll help you! Form a circle!
2: As the Indians rode down the long hill, the Lone Ranger helped the pioneers quickly move the wagons into a tight circle. Then the gunfire started. The savages, who greatly outnumbered the pioneers, circled around the wagons, firing from the backs of their horses. The Lone Ranger fought at the side of Jim Frisbee. The first attack was driven off. The Indians withdrew to the hilltop. The Lone Ranger watched them through binoculars, then
4: said... Frisbee, look through these glasses. You see Cap Sanders and Dakota Dick talking to the Indians. They're double-crossers.
3: You were right about them.
4: They double-crossed you and they lied about Dave Wingate falling asleep at his post. How'd you know about Wingate? I met him on the trail.
2: During the lull in battle, the Lone Ranger told how he had met Dave Wingate and learned of the attack. Then the Indians near the hilltop, out of gun range, showed signs of activity. They're starting another attack. We've used more than half our ammunition. Get set, boys. We'll go down
6: fighting. Here they come! (laughs)
2: Every man inside the circle of wagons knew that the end was near.
3: Make every shot count!
2: The Indians knew it, too. They felt that victory was in their grasp when suddenly new war cries sounded from the north.
4: Look, look over there. More engines coming. Those are friendly Indians. They're members of a Crow tribe. You mean they're on our side? Yes, Tuttle's riding beside the chief. And there's Dave Wingate.
3: Boys, we're saved! Never mind sparing the ammunition. Let them have it!
2: Tuttle and his friends changed the tide of battle quickly. Many Indians went down. The others tried to flee, but they were hotly pursued by the crows, and it was easy to see that none would escape. <laughs> that night, in the light of campfires, Jim Frisbee told the pioneers how Dave Wingate had been unfairly punished.
3: And men, I say every one of us owes his life to Dave. That's right, right. I didn't do anything. We owe our lives to Tonto and the Lone Ranger. Stay
1: tuned for the Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zuma Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for The Great Gildersleeve.
7: Craft presents The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. <laughs> cheese company, makers of Parquet Margin and a complete line of famous quality food products presents Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you the Great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Wayton and Sam Moore with music by Claude Slayton. <laughs> The the Great Gildersleeve when we find sitting quietly in his parlor reading the evening paper. He'd be feeling completely contented except for a slight pang of hunger which makes him a little edgy with certain people. His nephew, Leroy, for example.
8: Hey. Hey, Unc.
9: I'm trying to read the paper, Leroy.
8: Yeah, give me the comic page, will you?
9: You may have the paper when I have finished.
8: Oh, gosh, you always read the real estate page and
10: everything.
9: Supper's almost ready.
10: Leroy, would you mind getting your junk out of the living room, please? I'm expecting company this evening. You must be. Look at her hair, Unc.
9: Huh? Well, something new, my dear.
10: Oh, I've tried it before, but not in public. Like it?
9: Very nice. Gives a very nice effect.
10: Will you please make Leroy move his junk? Who's coming for corn's sake? Major Ball? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's married. Um, Keith Kelsey's dropping in for a while.
8: Keith Kelsey? No kidding, Marge, is he? What's so wonderful about that? He's the best hockey player I've had at Summerfield High in 20 years. Besides, I thought he was going around with Francie. He was? Gee, congratulations, Marge. Gosh, I never
6: thought...
9: Saw... Uh, just a moment, Leroy. May I ask who this young man is, Marjorie?
8: Leroy, just told you.
10: The coach says he's the best hockey player we've had in 20 years.
9: Just a minute. This fellow's named Keith Kelsey, you say? Yes. I don't trust any boy named Keith. Oh, <laughs> oh uh,
10: Keith, that's silly.
9: Oh, it's silly, is it? Isn't he one of the fellows that was mixed up in that mischief down at the high school last year?
10: What mischief?
9: You know what I'm talking about. That gang that kidnapped the Polish janitor so the school had no heat.
10: Yeah, he thought of the whole thing. Oh, he did not think it up.
9: Well, chances are he did think it up, but that's not the question. Was he involved in it?
8: Well, they used his car.
9: Oh, he's got a car.
8: eh? Yeah, he had a souped-up Ford, but he couldn't get gas, so he had to soup it down again.
9: (laughs) If it was his car, he must have been one of the ringleaders in the kidnapping. A very dangerous stunt. Dangerous? It endangered the health of hundreds of high school pupils and teachers.
8: Oh, nobody got sick. They all went home. It was perfect.
9: (laughs) Well, I don't trust this boy. I don't want you seeing too much of him, my dear.
8: I don't see why.
9: I knew a fellow named Keith in college. He was no good either. Keith Robinson.
8: But Keith, Kelsey is the best hockey player in the state, practically. I think it's a great honor if he wants to come here, even.
9: I don't care if he's the best hockey player in the world. He... He
8: has wavy hair, too.
9: Marge, you're, you're talking like a lovesick schoolgirl.
10: I'm not lovesick.
9: Well, no boy is perfect, and you better understand that right now. You'll be very careful with this young
10: man. Oh, I will. Please make Leroy get his junk out of
8: here, Unky.
9: Move your junk, Leroy.
8: Okay. Gosh, I hope you'll at least let me say hello to him. Yes, but that's all. Couldn't I talk to him a little? No. Hey, Unk, if I talked to him, I could kind of keep an eye on him and Marge. <laughs>
9: No, my boy. If there's to be any chaperoning, I'll take care of it. I hope none will be necessary, my dear.
10: Oh, this is all so embarrassing. I almost wish he wasn't coming. But not really. No, wait a minute. Maybe you better answer it, Leroy. I want to go upstairs and make sure my hair is
9: all right. Your hair is perfectly all right, my dear. Good enough for anybody.
10: Well, I want to look at it anyway.
9: Uh, Go on, answer the door, Leroy.
8: Okay, okay. Hi.
9: Hello. Is Marjorie... Yeah,
8: come on in. I'm her brother. Oh. My name's Leroy.
11: I saw you playing the
8: game against Riverton.
11: Oh, you did? That was a pretty good game. Uh, is your sister here?
8: Yes, yeah, she went upstairs to fix her hair. No. Oh. Uh, take off your coat, why don't you?
11: Yeah, okay.
8: You want to see my skates? I just got them for Christmas. Look, tubulars.
11: Yeah. Well, they probably wouldn't stand up very long in a game.
8: No, not in a real game. Well, they're just a cheap pair. Can't get decent skates these days. You want to see my stick?
11: Well, I... Uh... Oh, hello, Marge. Hello,
10: Keith. I thought you weren't coming. I was upstairs doing my geometry.
11: Oh, you were.
8: <laughs> Here's my hockey stick, Keith. It's regulation.
11: Yeah. See, that's all right. Uh, you left-handed?
8: No. Why?
11: Well, that's a left-handed stick. You'll never raise the puck off the ice with that.
8: <laughs> so that's it. Well, for contact, sake, I what? want Leroy. What? I'll go in a minute.
9: Well, Marjorie, is this the young man you were telling me about? Oh,
10: yes Uh, This is my Uncle Mark, Keith
9: Just call me Mr. Gildersleeve How are you, Mr. Gildersleeve? I'm very well, thank you Suppose we step into the parlor for a moment
8: Yeah, let's all go in the parlor
9: Not you, Leroy You go upstairs and get at your homework
8: It's all done practically Leroy Mm, Okay you know, I might talk to
6: Piggy about trading hockey sticks.
9: So long, Keith. So long. Now, young man, sit down. Tell me something about yourself. Oh, Uncle. Well, there isn't much to tell about me, Mr. Gildersleeve. I wonder if I know your father. It could
11: be. He has the Oldsmobile agency there on State Street. Yeah? Right now, he's selling Venetian blinds made out of plastic. Oh, <laughs> uh, I see. You're the water commissioner, aren't you, Mr. Gildersleeve? Yes. I'd like to see that pump sometime out at the reservoir. It must be quite a piece of machinery. Oh, it is.
9: I didn't have a darn good engineer out there; it wouldn't run ten minutes. Is that a fact? Yes, my boy. That's a fact. That's one thing I'm very good at. I know how to pick a good man. Oh, you do? Yes, I do. And don't you ever forget it. <laughs> well, I'll leave you, young people. Now, in my study, and do a little reading.
11: Okay. Glad to have met you, Mister ha. <laughs> Yes Funny old duck, isn't he?
8: Oh, he's all right
11: Sure Say, you look pretty I'm glad you think so Come on, get your hat and coat And we'll go over and join the gang What gang? Oh, the gang They're over at Barney's Beanery Pete and Sally and Henry and Grace And all the rest of the gang Come on, we'll have some fun
10: Oh, it sounds darling But I'll have to ask Uncle Mort if I can go
11: You want me to ask him?
10: No, no, I better He's kind of funny
11: He sure looks funny. (laughs) Well, go ahead and
9: tell him you're going out.
10: Okay. Be with you in a second. Oh, um... Excuse me, Unky.
9: You haven't been talking very loud, Marjorie.
10: Haven't we? Uh, we didn't want to disturb you.
9: A quiet murmur would disturb me far less than complete silence,
6: my dear.
10: (laughs) It would? Well, um... I just wanted to tell you we're going out for a little while. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, Unky, I'm only going to Barney's Beanery. The gang's all over there. What gang? Oh, everybody. In
9: that souped-up car? No, sir.
10: It isn't souped up anymore.
9: Well, souped down, then. I don't know this boy, Marjorie.
10: I'm not asking you to go out with him. (laughs)
6: Listen,
9: if that young fellow wants to spend any time with you, he can spend it here or I know what's going on.
10: Unky, not so loud.
9: Why can't I talk loud? This is my own house, isn't it?
8: (laughs) But, Unky...
10: You tell
9: Master Keith that I won't let you go out this evening. If he wants to see you, he can stay here.
11: Oh! Well, all set? I'm sorry,
10: Keith. He says I can't go out. Couldn't you possibly stay here?
11: Well, I... I promised the gang I'd be over. I thought I could bring you naturally.
10: Naturally? Well, you promised them.
11: Yeah. Gee, that's too bad. If only I hadn't promised well, I am Sure, did.
10: you have to keep a promise.
11: Yeah, I guess so. Well, some other time, huh, Marge? If you want. Oh, you bet. Here's my coat. Oh, well, so long.
6: So long.
9: Shee, <laughs> now I've done it. Eat your prunes, Leroy.
8: I am. Shoot the cream, will you, Uncle?
9: Cream is unnecessary on prunes, my boy.
8: Yeah, but it sure helps.
9: There's a war on. Uh, what's keeping Marjorie? I
8: don't know. Maybe she overslept. Maybe she was out late with Keith.
9: Don't talk so much and eat your prunes.
8: Okay, gosh, all I always do was, was Eat me.
9: your prunes.
8: <laughs> <laughs> Miss please. you ready for your egg?
9: Yes, Bertie. Uh, egg, did you say?
8: Yes, but there's only one. Eggman didn't come yesterday, and he's been acting kind of high and mighty lately, and I ain't surprised that he didn't show up.
9: Mm. If he comes back, be good to him, Bertie.
8: Yes, I'll bake him a cake. <laughs>
9: Fine situation. You have to treat the Eggman like visiting royalty.
6: Those are the breaks, kid. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh,
8: here's Mark. Hi. Hi.
9: Good morning, my dear.
8: Pass the sugar, will you please, Leroy? Here. Have a good time with Keith last night, Marge?
10: Wonderful. Uncle Mort practically kicked him out of the house.
9: What? Now, Marjorie. Keith
10: had a date with a gang, and Uncle Mort wouldn't let me go along. Gosh, Uncle, you must be nuts.
8: Keith's <laughs> the best hockey player that ever came to see her. She's able to wind up with somebody that can't even skate. <laughs>
9: you stay out of this, Leroy. Yes,
8: you'll the an Mr. Miss please?
10: Morning, Miss Marjorie. Good morning, Bertie. Do you feel like some oatmeal this morning? No, thank you, Bertie. Just my grapefruit and some toast, I guess.
8: I'd
6: offer
10: you an egg, but there ain't
9: any. Uh, would you like my egg, Marjorie?
10: You want your uncle's egg, honey? No, thank you,
9: Bertie. Uh, Marjorie feels I treated her unfairly last night, Bertie. I refused to allow her to go to a nightclub with a young man I know nothing about.
10: A nightclub? He's talking about Barney's beanery, Bertie. And there's nothing the matter with Keith Kelsey, either.
9: I didn't say there was anything the matter with him, Bertie. I just don't want Marjorie running around with strangers.
10: He is not a stranger, Bertie. I've known him ever since the sixth grade, only only he never noticed me before.
8: Yeah, I've seen him play hockey, too. I told
9: you to stay out of this, Leroy.
8: <laughs> I'm leaving anyway. Cheer sure, up, March. Maybe everything'll be okay.
10: Thanks, Leroy. I don't think there's much hope.
9: Not as bad as all that, child. Oh, this is ridiculous.
10: Oh, no, it isn't. Keith is the nicest boy in the Summerfield High School. And he's always gone around with other girls like Francie and Eleanor Sloan. And now the first time he's even noticed me, you treat him like a criminal. But I... You cross-examine him. You practically tell him you are got to listen to every word we say. And then you won't let me go out to a perfectly innocent place with him. Marjorie, please. All my life, I've been waiting for just one nice boy. But if I know how you were going to
8: treat him, well, it'll be your fault if I wind up
9: found it, Bertie, I'm just trying to do the right thing by the girl.
8: I know it, Miss Gilsey.
9: What she needs is a mother.
8: I expect you're right. You ain't making any plans along them lines, is you? Oh, no. <laughs>
9: Must be Judge Hooker, Bertie. It's his turn to drive me downtown.
11: I'll let him in, Miss Gilsey. You finish the talk. Thank you. Morning, Judge. And a good morning to you, Bertie. Is the Lord of the Manor ready to fare forth on the highway?
8: Not quite, Judge. And he ain't feeling so chipper either.
11: Oh, uh-huh. Well, Doc Morton, what's he in you this morning?
9: I don't know, Horace. Marjorie thinks I'm scaring away her boyfriends. Well, are you? I don't know what to do. I don't know how anybody raises children. Heaven knows I'm no expert. No, you're not. (laughs) I suppose what the child really needs is a mother. I don't want to get mixed up with any more women.
11: Well, there are plenty of women in the family. Children have several aunts. Yeah. Why don't you invite one of them for a visit? Hmm. Better stay a few days and straighten things out.
9: Not a bad idea, Horace. Let me see. Catherine's got kids of her own. She couldn't come. That is a good, sensible woman. Yeah, and may the Lord deliver me from good, sensible women. What's the matter with Hilda? Yeah, I always liked Hilda. Got a little bounce to her. (laughs) Shoot her a wire. I might do that. Quiet. Here comes Marjorie.
11: Well, Marjorie.
10: Good morning, Judge. You're
11: looking as fresh as a bright May morning.
10: Thank
6: you.
9: Well, my dear, off to school now, I suppose. Yep, off to school.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get back now to Summerfield and see what's going on. And if you want to know what's going on in Summerfield, there isn't a better place to find out than Peavy's Pharmacy. Of course, the noon-hour rush is over, and the proprietor usually catches a short nap back in his prescription room during the lull that follows, but well, let's drop in there anyway. Uh-oh, he's got a customer at the soda fountain, and it's Marjorie. Do you find that milkshake you're lacking, Marjorie?
10: It's fine.
12: That's good. Not too sweet?
10: Can't be too sweet.
12: I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Then it's a matter of taste, I suppose. I uh, don't want to appear to pry, Marjorie, but shouldn't you be in school now?
10: I should, but I'm not.
12: So I see. You're sure that won't lead to trouble?
10: What do I care?
12: Yeah, that's hard to answer. Finished? I'll have another. Another chocolate malt?
10: Make it a double.
12: Oh, Marjorie, I'm afraid two of these would make you sick.
10: What do I care?
12: Well, you're the customer. Two chocolate (laughs) maltes. Mr. Peavy. Yes?
10: Were you ever in
12: love? Was I ever in love? (laughs) Well, I guess I must have been. I'm married.
10: Well, I mean, seriously.
12: Mm, Oh, that's (laughs) it. I'd say it was serious. People don't just get married for the fun of it.
10: Well, did you ever fall in love with someone who never paid you a bit of attention, never even looked at you, and you thought you'd just die if he didn't, and then all of a sudden he did, and you were so happy, and then your uncle came along and spoiled it?
6: I don't know. I can't say
12: that I ever found myself in exactly that situation.
10: Then you don't know how empty life can be, the complete futility of it all.
12: Well, I wouldn't say that.
10: Oh, you wouldn't know What good is life What good is anything What good is education I asked myself that at lunch today And during recess, I just walked out
12: That's why you're
10: here Yes, yeah. I thought you were the one person who'd understand
12: Well... I... I'm a little
10: afraid to go back now I'm A little afraid to go home Why should I be? It's my life What good is it? Just tell me, Mr. Peavy What is there to live for?
12: Well, you've still got a chocolate malt coming.
6: <laughs> Mr.
10: Peavy, I thought you were a friend. If I thought you were going to laugh oh, at
12: me... I don't mean to laugh at you, Marjorie, but just think. You're how old? Sixteen. You've still got a few things to look forward to. You've still got a few years left before you shuffle off. After all, there's always tomorrow, you know.
10: Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow goes on this petty pace from day to day. That's
12: Shakespeare. Yeah, I know. Oh, I forgot your chocolate moth. I want you to understand, Marjorie, the pharmacy accepts no responsibility for this. We usually serve only one of these to a customer. Oh, here comes your uncle. My uncle? Coming right across the street there.
10: Oh, I can't let him see me. Uh, Mr. Peavy, please, could I go out the back way? Well, it's
12: not customary, but I don't see any harm. Right through the prescription room there, you'll find the door.
6: I'll pay you next time. That's all right.
12: Oh, don't fall over the ash can in the alley. Don't find out a hide and seek, but I don't want to be responsible for any broken bones here. Beep. Hello, Mr. Gellister.
9: Uh, Hello, Peavy.
12: What can I do for you?
9: Oh, give me a chocolate malt. You, too? What do you mean?
12: Nothing. There's your malt.
9: Huh? Not there in
12: front of you. I just mixed it. <laughs>
9: You must be a mind reader.
12: No. No, I mixed it for a customer who was just in here. But he was suddenly called out of town.
9: I take it you didn't have any dessert for lunch. I didn't have any lunch. Didn't feel like it. Didn't feel like working either. I didn't get a thing done at the office all morning. John found Peavy. One girl can be more trouble than six boys.
12: is that right?
9: Now, you take Leroy. I have to holler at him a lot, but at least we understand each other. But Marjorie you know she hadn't spoken to me for three days? I ask you, is that any way for a girl to treat her old uncle?
12: Well, I'll tell you, Mr. Gildersleeve, girls will be girls. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely.
6: <laughs>
12: well, maybe you're right. Now, when a girl gets to be Marjorie's age, she's apt to get the idea that nobody understands her.
9: How do you know so much about girls?
12: Mm, I happen to be married to one. <laughs> and she still
9: thinks nobody
12: understands her. At times. And at times, I'm ready to agree with her.
6: What do you do about
12: it? Well, in Mrs. Peavy's case, I just go take a walk. But with Marjorie, it's a little different. I'd say what she needs is the companionship of young people her own age.
9: Well, you could be right. There's such a thing as seeing too much of Leroy. I see Marjorie coming here with him. Her. <laughs>
12: Come in here with their young friends in the afternoon and they giggle and gossip and talk nonsense. That's what girls want at that age. I guess that's what they want at any age.
9: Peavy, you know what? You give me an idea. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. Yes, you have, by George. You give me an idea. You're
12: not going. You haven't touched the milkshake.
9: Sell it to the next man who comes in.
12: <laughs> I've sold it twice already.
9: <laughs> you play it right, you can run it up into a fortune. Peavy, you know what I'm going to do? No, what are you going to do, Mr. Gillespie? I'm going to put an end to all this nonsense. I thought of a way to make Marjorie forget her troubles. Yes? I'm going to give her a party, a surprise party. Now,
12: you're getting somewhere. Yes,
9: sir. I'll invite all her girlfriends over, and I'll just leave them there to giggle and gossip to their heart's content.
12: You mean you're only going to invite the girlfriends?
9: Yeah, only your girlfriends. It's strictly a hen party. Well, but... (laughs) Plenty of good food, no grown-ups, no boys to spoil the party. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She'll love it, Phoebe. Well... So long, Phoebe. Thanks for the idea.
12: I don't think he ever got the idea.
9: Well, that's five of them, Leroy. Penny, Linda, Martha, Virginia, and Francie. Can you think of any other girls I ought to invite?
8: No, but there's a couple of those you shouldn't invite. Francy,
9: for instance. That's ridiculous. Her father and mother are very good friends of mine.
8: Just the same. She and Lange aren't even talking to each other.
9: Well, that's nonsense, and I'm not going to encourage them. Uh-oh. Here's Bertie. Well, what luck, Bertie.
8: Miss Jill Steve, I've been to every market in this town, but I couldn't find no marshmallows, only in one place. Oh? You got them, then? No, sir, I didn't. Why not? Because the man made me mad. He told me if I wanted to buy a box of marshmallows, I'd have to buy two boxes of bran and a bottle of no-good brass polish.
9: Yes. Why... The dirty crook? Well, never mind the marshmallows. We'll think of something else. Must be something girls like to do besides toast marshmallows. Oh, I know. Make fudge.
8: Oh, boy.
9: Now, here's what I planned. The girls will arrive at 8 o'clock. It'll be a big surprise. They'll all go down to the roller skating rink and skate there till 10. And they'll come home here and have a snack and make fudge. Don't you think Marjorie will like that, Leroy?
8: I suppose so. Girls are crazy. (laughs)
9: <laughs> It'll be a nice, wholesome evening
8: You're not kidding Well, <laughs> I'd better go and get started on the sandwiches
9: and Now, wait a minute When Marjorie gets home Don't anybody say anything to her about this, you understand? Oh, well, I won't say a word Just pretend that nothing's happened Let her go on as she has been If she doesn't want to talk to anybody at dinner Okay, let her alone I want this to be a surprise We'll have some fun out of it, eh, Leroy? How am I going to
8: have any fun out of it? <laughs>
9: She'll be sitting there like a thundercloud all through dinner with no idea of what's in store for her. But we'll know, won't
6: we?
8: It's her. Uh, Evening, Miss Marjorie. Good evening, Bertie.
6: Leroy,
10: I saw your snowman outside. It's simply super. Unky darling, you're wearing the tie I gave you. Oh, but you must let me straighten it for you.
6: Huh?
10: There. Now give me a nice kiss. Huh? (laughs) How soon's dinner, Bertie? Any minute now. I'll be right down. What's come over her?
9: You tell me. Oh,
10: uh, Uncle
9: Morris. Uh, yes, my dear.
10: I want to apologize. I guess I haven't been very nice these last few days.
9: Well, I uh, guess I wasn't very understanding.
8: Well, it's all right now. Everything's all right. Everything's wonderful. You're just going to leave us guessing, or you're going to tell us what happened? <laughs>
10: Leroy, would you be a dear, sweet boy and go away so I can talk to Uncle Morris?
8: Oh, for corn's sake. All I ever do is get sent away.
10: Never mind. You can stay. I don't care who knows. Guess what? I ran into Keith this afternoon, and he said he'd been looking for me. I wasn't looking for him. He was looking for me. And guess what he said about Francie? He said she was too old-fashioned. He said she was conventional.
9: I don't know that you can hang a girl for that.
10: That's not all. I'm going to see him again tonight. Well, now,
9: my dear. Oh, it's
10: all right this time. It's perfectly all right. He's coming over here. Over here tonight? It's all right, Uncle Mort. We're going to do our geometry together.
9: uh, Well, that's fine, my dear. But (laughs) the thing is, I've arranged a little sort of a surprise party for you and some of your girlfriends. I told them you'd all go roller skating. Tonight? Yeah, the girls are coming at 8.
6: Yeah,
8: Francie and Penny. Francie and... coming here? Ye gods. Keith is coming at 8:30. Oh, this is terrible.
9: No, Marge. Oh,
10: why did you do it? Oh, Uncle Mord.
9: Don't worry, I'll handle it. I'll take them skating myself.
8: Oh, Auntie, would you?
9: Gee, did I say that?
8: <laughs> Don't worry, Uncle. Roller skating isn't hard. No,
9: but the floor
6: is. <laughs> Uncle more
9: Oh, uh, you still up, my dear? Yes, yeah. a
10: telegram came. I didn't know whether to open it
9: or not. Oh, I know what it is. It's from Aunt Hilda. Aunt
10: Hilda, there's nothing wrong.
9: No, no. I wrote to her and asked her if she wouldn't come and stay with us for a few days. Don't you think that'd be nice? No, oh, I'd
10: love it. Aunt Hilda's such fun. You know,
9: Aunt Hilda. I knew she'd come, but it was only to get away from Hattie. Yeah. Now, let's see what she has to say. Sorry, unable to come. Frank, home on leave. Hattie coming instead. What? Hattie coming instead? Arrived seven forty five Tuesday. Oh my goodness! How did I ever get into this? Aunt Hattie. Well, those are the breaks, kid. <laughs> Good night, my dear. Good night, everybody. <laughs> this evening's program was directed by Claude Siskin, Ken Carpenter, and the
6: Kraft
7: Cheese Company. Make of Card Game Arts and a complete line of famous quality food products. Inviting you to listen again next week for the further adventures of the great Gildersleeve. Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Suspense, followed by The Adventures of Ossie and Harriet. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is
0: proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.